This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here in association with my good friends at CDF Capital. I'm so excited to kick off 2021 with this podcast and especially with this guest, my friend Gene Apple. What we're going to do, like we typically do, is we spend a moment getting to hear the sound of just a message from Gene that he actually gave in 2020. And I want you to hear this because what he details and unpacks is this flywheel around fear and around faith. And then we'll come back and have an honest and human conversation about the craft, the art of preaching and how we want to be the kind of people where our character always leads the way. Hear this. Gang, I stand before you today and say, I just don't get the fear-filled, sarcastic, worst-case scenario crowd. This is just unproductive anytime you're in a crisis. And just so you know, I'm throwing myself in with Moses, and I'm saying I am in the fear not, stand firm, believing that with God's help, the greatest days are in front of us mode. What mode are you in? This is a time for Eastside to keep being the church. This is a time to keep doing what God's called us to do, to make disciples who pursue God, who build community and unleash compassion. We are not going to shrink back or run or hide. We are going to seize this moment and advance God's mission through Eastside. I believe that's exactly what God wants to do. Friends, this is the mode We've all got to be in, not just as a church, but in our personal lives, in our families, in our personal faith stories. Tomorrow, you will write a new chapter in your story. And I just wonder why any of you would choose to write your story with a fear-based pen when you could be writing it with a faith-based pen. Why would you get all afraid and sarcastic and expend all kinds of energy on worst case scenarios. Today, I wanna call you to a better plan. I wanna call you to the Moses plan. I call you to the fear not, stand firm, expect God's help plan. I call you with the strength of God's Holy Spirit to say with God's help, I will stand firm. And let go of fear, because I have a God who will never let go of me. I serve and love a God who did the Passover miracle, the part the Red Sea miracle, the manna from heaven miracle, the water from a rock miracle, the Christmas miracle, the Good Friday miracle, the Easter Sunday resurrection miracle, a God who has been pulling off water parting stuff all throughout history. Why wouldn't I believe that he will part the waters for me? Amen. 
Well, Gina, I loved, loved, loved that message. I actually listened to it twice. Um, give our listeners just a sense of what that talk was, because it kind of came right out of the COVID season. But yeah, give a little background on that, if you wouldn't mind. And thanks for the privilege to be on uh, Craft and Character. Love you, Steve, and thanks, honored bud. to be here. Well, so that message was uh, delivered exactly two days after we made the decision. We had to pull the plug and cancel services and COVID-19. So it was a real scramble even to put the message together because uh, everything changed on a Thursday. Wow. And uh, I gave that message on a, on a Saturday night. And of course, the whole world had shifted. I mean, those of us who love college basketball, <laughs> you know, yes, the NCAA had just been canceled. And, uh, you know, I honestly never felt, I never imagined in my life that I would ever make an announcement that we won't be gathering because of a global pandemic. You know, I've been in ministry for 40 years and that had never crossed my radar. And so I was just trying to think, okay, uh, the natural response we're all going to go to right now is fear. And, and, you know, God, maybe you've put me in a place right now. I need to call people to, to a higher place. And uh, so I was scrambling like every pastor was in those two days to figure out what do, what do I, what do I call people to? And I, you, I just used the title that weekend, you know, fear or faith question mark, kind of what are we, what are we going to choose? Wow. Well, and what I loved again, just about that was, I think so often when my fear kicks in, um, how easy it is to go to those places of sarcasm or just kind of those doomsday kind of stories that just almost, you can't control them. They, they, it's like a snowball effect. They just build and build. And I just thought the way that you articulated this, and again, just, this is one of the reasons why I wanted you on this podcast is because um, there are people, and I think I'm more of just a, 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 a just a teacher, um, who attempts to lead from time to time, but you, I feel like, um, are so strategic the way that you lead through your teaching. And, um, I remember the first time I listened to you, man, this was 20 plus years ago. Um, while you were still senior pastor at central and I, you know, I just, I, I remember I would get some tapes of your talks and I just listened. And then obviously you know, you spent uh, five years uh, at Willow and I would listen to you there, but there was always this sense that you were taking not just an idea somewhere, but you were taking a church and you were moving people down the road. And I, I've just always, always respected it. And, and I just felt that at the, at the tail end of that talk, you did it once again. It's almost the staple of how you lead through your teaching. Um, Talk about that. How did, did, is that something you just kind of um, innately have always had, or is that something that you've kind of grown into, or where, where did you first kind of learn to do that? I, I mean, I think there's a couple different pieces to that. I think as I just look at my own gifting and my own wiring as best as I can understand and as best as others affirm in me, it feels like, you know, when you look at the order of my spiritual gifts that, that leadership is kind of at the top of that list and, and teaching then is in a, in a second place. So I think there's just a natural tendency that I have as a, a leader and as a teacher to mix those two things uh, together and to be strategic about that. And then because I uh, am a leader, we're, you know, we, we 
create ministry plans um, on six month increments at okay. at Eastside, where we're always looking out six months ahead and kind of feeling like God, where do you want us to go? And you know, we we talk about our our purpose as a church of being pursue God, build community, and unleash compassion. So we're always looking at how can we advance one of those values at any given time or a combination of those at any given time. And so my, my, my preaching calendar, I guess you could say, either informs our strategic plan or our strategic plan informs my preaching calendar. And it kind of goes back and forth a little bit, probably more so the strategic plan informs my preaching more so, but, um, uh, but but it can go either way. And of course, the week of this message that we listened to, that's the week all the plans went out the window. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. That's the week for people like me, you know, or it's like, like, you know, crazy. This is not the plan we had leading up to Easter. And this is not the strategy uh, that we had. But I, but I also knew that I need to, to lead at that time. And it was important for our staff and our church to hear my voice as a shepherd yes. and uh, a, a calming and a steadying voice. What was so amazing too is again, just like it almost felt like that message had been planned <laughs> because it just it just felt so true to you. I mean, you told this personal story about a Matt Redmond song coming out of a difficult season and just and just even as you read those lyrics, um, I just was like, man, it just spoke to me. But I'm curious because I think there's many, many senior pastors and teaching pastors who listen to this podcast and when you talk about your strategic calendar and your in the ministry plans and the sermon calendar, can you walk us through how does that all kind of play out? If you're running in six month increments, um, yeah, how does that how does that play out? Well, well, let's pretend we're talking at a time that's not a COVID nineteen. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, twenty nineteen. <laughs> take all me the back. Plans go out the window. So <laughs> hoping with vaccines on the horizon here for yes. for all of us. Hopefully. We're going to get back to a more normal sense. I kind of think of the ministry year, like in my mind, this is just how I, I've always programmed it. I think of as it starting in August. Yeah. And like that, that's the start of a new year. And in August, I think about the fact that uh, in good ways, people have had lots of distractions over the summer. They, you know, they've had vacations, they've been to camp. They probably haven't been as engaged in kind of some of our church stuff as they would be other times of the year. So I always look at August as a time I want to re-engage the church family spiritually. Mm-hmm. And uh, that this is a time to, you know, not only get back to rather regular rhythms, but really challenge them in some of their spiritual practices and disciplines, et cetera. For the last four or five years, we've done a 21 days of prayer emphasis in the month of August that kind of coincides with that time. And, uh, and I'll do a series like two years ago, uh, I did a series called the deep and was just walking through the first four chapters of the book of acts. And this is the kind of church that we want to be. And these are the kind of values that we want to uphold. And, you know, so oftentimes though, we'll be, you know, I'll be calling people back to our primary values of pursuing God and worship and, and why we value community and small groups and, and uh, why we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus to unleash compassion. So, so we kind of re-engage in that. And I also use that as a time to start casting vision. We're going to re-engage ourselves spiritually so that in September, we're in a good posture that we can start reaching our friends and family yes. evangelistically. Yep. And so I'll, I'll do a, a series in August that will 
re-engage the, the church family. That'll usually go through about Labor Day. Then that weekend after Labor Day, it's like, okay, now the next few weeks, we're going to be all about reaching our friends. Gotcha. And so I'll try to do a series then that uh, has high interest or high felt need. Uh, sometimes we'll have a special guest that weekend after uh, Labor Day to kind of kind of get a some mojo going, give people another excuse to invite a friend or a family member uh, with them. And then in October, then I'll try to start taking people on a deepening journey. Mm. So, so it's kind of like we re-engaged ourselves spiritually. We've, we've reached our friends. Now, how do I help take those friends that you're reaching and, and challenge them to step across the line of faith? Maybe it's to, to move toward a small group uh, to engage in their spiritual life. And uh, it, it would not be uncommon for us to have like a spontaneous baptism weekend sometime in October. Yeah. Kind of because that's fruit. And then, and then in November, we usually move strategically into some things of uh, caring for the marginalized, caring for the poor, some, some way of compassion initiative. Sometimes it'll be something global. Sometimes it'll be more local in our communities. And if, if we do, Local in November, we'll do something for global in the spring or vice versa. Gotcha. And so then, uh, you know, Christmas is not a great attended month for us, typically the yeah. month of December. But uh, historically, you know, and again, this year being an exception, you know, Christmas services leading up to Christmas Eve become our greatest outreach of the year. You know, it's it's uh, we triple whatever our average attendance is those times. So then we're kind of look to start that cycle that I just described all over again in January. And uh, what can we do to bring people back in January? What can we deepen them in February? How can we unleash compassion in March? And then we're at uh, Easter. And uh, I think every pastor in the world dreams, you know, that because Easter is going to be great attended things, that there's going to be great evangelistic fruit after Easter. And I plan for that every year and rarely experience it. <laughs> I play for it. I plan, plan. But it's, it's like, you know, there's just that natural drop off after Easter. And of course, when Mother's Day hits it, you know, it's like, that's the last hurrah. Yes. Uh, so, something unique in my preaching calendar. I, I do try to address areas of biblical money management every year. Okay. Yep. And I kind of fell into an, an, I don't think there's a bad time to do that, but I kind of fell into a pattern probably eight years or so ago of doing a series like that in the month of June. Sometimes okay. I'll do it in late May, uh, early June, and I'll always do at least three, if not four weeks on that subject matter. And what I like about that, what the reason that's really grown is it, it's not a high outreach time for us as a church. So it is kind of a deepening time. Uh, Summer is traditionally a time where, uh, finances in a church can be hit hard. Yeah. And we experience just the opposite of that uh, has been our experience since doing that. You know, July giving becomes like December giving wow. uh, in our church. And so that's really a good thing. And the other thing I like about that is it's, you know, if you do it in June, it's six months away from December. And in December, we usually do some kind of year-end giving emphasis that's over and above kind of thing. And so it, it puts those two things exactly six months apart and it gives you two opportunities a year to address stewardship issues, like from a different angle and a different yes. perspective. So that's kind of the 
the cycle of a year. Of- yep. Now, does your fiscal like budget year is that January through December, or is it a Our July through? Starts September one. This one. September one. Okay, so that's. I mean, it's also that's a it's a great piece as well as you guys prepare that for the ministry year. Again, um, so we end that. our fiscal year strong by doing that yep. way. We're positioned yep. to start a new fiscal year strong in September. So, take me back. You're 25 years old, and you step in your first senior pastor role at Central Christian in Vegas, how much of this did you have like lined out from a liturgy standpoint, kind of a yearly calendar? Or was it like, man, I'm, I'm, I don't know what I'm teaching. Like, (laughs) because again, I, when I was at Willow, people would talk about how strategic you were. I mean, one of the series that you would do often I heard was um, homecoming for people to come back in August. And that was the first time that I started thinking about, man, wow, we got to really welcome people back in August. And and again, just some of the, the the decisions that you've made have shaped me in my understanding of a preaching calendar. But take me back to 25. What, what were you like um, stepping in your first senior pastor role for preaching calendar. I I could barely shave and I still (laughs) sounded like I'd been inhaling helium for four days when I I preached. And, uh, yeah, that was quite an experience. I, I, uh, went into a church. It was a very traditional church at that time. So, I mean, you know, we know what central and, and Judd has done there today, but that time central was a very traditional church. It was a church of about 400 people. And, you know, I was 25 and the baby of the staff, and uh, the young, youngest person on the staff. And I, I had a strategic bent to myself then. And, and really, I mean, I led the first staff meeting the church had ever had. You know, that's how <laughs> strategic it, it had been prior to that. There was a lot of low-hanging fruit when it came to leadership. But I don't think I understood quite the – it was probably two or three years into that adventure that I started understanding how to attach my preaching to this to the strategic initiatives that we were uh, doing as a church. My, my first year in Vegas, in fact, in fact, I don't regret this. I spent uh, 35 weeks teaching through the book of Acts, you know, as a 25 year old, but, but that was kind of what the church needed at that time to help us think about what kind of church do we want to be? And what, what, what has God called us to? And it was, so it was really formative for us as a church. And then I think it, like positioned us to be more strategic in the years ahead. Yeah. Well, and, and you were there 18 years, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So um, when I, when I think too about the strategic plan, as you think about, and you've kind of have this roadmap, how, how early are you prepping for those ministry plans? If they're going to kick off in September, August, are, are you, are you going away with key leaders in May? What, what does that look like for you? And and how do you listen to that, that kind of strategic gut or the spirits leading? Yeah. So that's evolved over the years for me. Uh, so when I was in Vegas, uh, again, this would probably be like after I got a year or two under the belt and started thinking more strategically in the summer each year, I would try to plan out my preaching calendar for the entire next year. So that would kind of take me August through June or something like that, and then take some vacation time in July. And, uh, and of course, in those days, we were doing two different services a week. We had a, a church service on the weekend focused toward unchurched people and a service toward believers on midweek. And so I was planning both of those calendars yeah. uh, and would kind of do it over the course of a year. 
you know, I spent five years at Willow Creek. And in those days, we were kind of making it up six weeks at a time. (laughs) (laughs) People thought we were strategic, but (laughs) it it wasn't. And and that was actually uh, was frustrating to me because I just think we do better work when we're planned out ahead and and it serves our teams well and serves the church well. So I've been at Eastside now, uh, it was 12 years ago this last fall that I came. And we started within, I would say, my first six months at Eastside planning on six-month cycles, and that's just worked for us, and so we keep it up. So, for instance, uh, this is how our cycle will go in January. We'll do a, a three-day uh, retreat with our senior leaders. We'll do some reflection on like how the last six months have gone, You know, how are we doing in these areas of pursuing God, building community, and unleashing compassion. What do we think are some of our opportunities moving ahead? And then we just kind of start calendaring each month, you know, like we'll do like uh, February through August, let's say in that uh, particular cycle of planning. And uh, we'll just start thinking about, okay, where's our on-ramp opportunities to really lift up the value of community. Uh, I know for instance, this March, we're going to have a big local serving, uh, local compassion emphasis that we're going to do. So that's going to play in. I'm already planning to do a series on the fruit of the spirit that kind of leads into that where we're, you know, how do we work out these values of, of loving our neighbor and, and uh, kindness and goodness and and expressing some of those values. So, um, so we'll, we'll start with an executive team retreat. We'll have a couple of our other senior staff members outside of our Executive team also speak into that. Uh, it, we would often meet with what we call our central teams. These are people across who serve all of our campuses relative to student ministries or children's ministries or uh, worship ministries, et cetera. They'll spend an afternoon with us. Our campus pastors will spend a day with us during that time. And so we'll emerge with that time of a pretty good picture of what the next six months look like. And I'll either have some of my preaching plan already starting to reflect out of that, or I'm planning my preaching plan because of that. And, you know, Mike Bro and I have served together, yeah. partnered together in one way or another for 28 years now, and, and Mike's on our teaching team. And so Mike usually joins us for those times too. And then his, he's got such a creative and, and great, you know, pre, he, he is, you know, natural teaching gift, preaching gift right at the top of his gift mix. And, and Michael often shoot, you know, a, a few series ideas together as a result of that, that, you know, a lot of it, he's not even preaching, but he just helps our thinking uh, yeah. on that. He's, I mean, I, I've always loved it, it, when I've been around both of you, because the brotherhood, the, you know, just iron sharpens iron. And, you know, uh, with with you, I feel like I can see the vision and we're like taking strategic ground. And with Mike, I feel like I got a basketball in hand and some sweet tea and I'm sitting on a porch, you know, it's just, but the two of you, the way that you both interact, I absolutely love it. And now here, here's an interesting thing because I, I you know, the, the message we, we picked to kind of listen to, you had flexed. Like when you are strategic and you are planned out ahead, you know, is there a couple times every year where you're like, no, I, we got to punt on this series or does that rarely happen? Yeah. It, it, it's a great question. And, and I would say it rarely happens. 
You know, I would say the ministry plans seldom get adjusted. You know, 95% of the time we're able to move forward on that. The the thing I likened this most to that I, that I could in, in my, uh, you know, kind of, kind of ministry journey was when 9-11 hit in 2001. And, you know, I was in Vegas at the time and we had just kicked off a great fall, you know, it was early September, you know, you're all ready to make hay and evangelistic hay and, and, uh, you know, then that event happened that just absolutely shifted everything. And and so all the plans went out the window, new plans were made, series were striked, new series were created uh, to deal with the moment that we uh, found ourselves in. And I would say that was the most, you know, next to the COVID-19 uh, situation, that that's the, the time I recall most where things had to shift in a dramatic way. Yeah. Now, what's that been like for you, you know, because you typically have been so far out to now have to live in the present? Like, is it like in a, in a new way, you know, is it, has that been, man, like this is, this has changed my preaching, um, in, in a, in a, this COVID season, um, not being able to kind of lean on the plans and that the spirits leaning on those retreats. Now it's, it's just shifting. It feels like every week. I mean, we think about what 2020 was civil unrest, you know, global pandemic. I mean, election. I mean, it was like every week it was just something different. Um, yeah. How, how did you, how did you live in that tension? Well, what, what I've tried to do is to continue to be strategic, but do it in shorter time frames. Wow. So rather than look out at six months, you know, I'm looking at six to eight weeks. Yeah. And so, you know, just as an example, last June, when we started thinking about, okay, when will we regather? And of course, at that time, we thought it would be sooner than it's been. You know, here we are in December and we still haven't regathered in California. Uh, we've got some plans to do that soon, but but we still had, hadn't regathered. I, I thought, you know, by August, surely we will. So what we started doing as a staff, we put together, okay, what does our eight-week regathering plan look like whenever we pull the trigger? Oh, yes. So it wasn't date specific, but we put an eight week plan together that said, okay, here's the weeks leading up to the regathering. Here's what's going to happen when we regather. Here's the series we're going to do when we regather. Yep. So we put that together. Now, I, I thought we would be pulling the trigger on that last August or September, but now we're going to pull the trigger on that series in January. Yeah. And uh, so we planned that way. Last summer, as you know, we were, uh, I, I was on a break most of the month of July, which felt good and really needed after the, you know, just the demands of leading through what, yeah. what we've been through. And so, you know, I'm just kind of praying and leading, okay, God, what's next? What does our congregation need now? And so, you know, when I came back, I, I was deliberate and I, I did a message called, where do we go from here? And it was on the, um, because I think that's the question everybody was asking and ran right out of Jeremiah. There's this passage where the Hebrews come to Jeremiah and they say, you know, where do we go and what do we do? They'd just been through defeat. They'd just been in battle. They were, you know, and I think that's how we all felt kind of emotionally. And so I kind of started with a vision cast. Hey, we're going, you know, given what's going on in our land this summer, we need gray saturated unity because, yes. uh, you know, we see division everywhere. We need, um, uh, you know, uh, 
vision focused strategy, you know, we're going to be focused on mission. We're still called to fulfill the great commission. You know, we may have to adjust methods, but our mission hasn't changed. Right. And, uh, and you know, something that doesn't ever change is Jesus centered ministry. This is all about him. And so, you know, I called people that then the following week and I kind of cast vision for this and that I, w- I went into a three part series called uh, living in the age of rage and just dealing with all the, you know, there was a, uh, Scott McKnight wrote an article last summer that really captured my attention. Uh, I think it was in Christianity Today or on his blog or something like, when did it become okay to hate? Yeah. Wow. Yep. And uh, that really prompted my thinking of, man, I don't like what goes on in me sometimes right now. I don't like what I see going on in our church family. And, and so I wanted to address that directly because I just feel like because of the divisiveness that's happened within the body of Christ this year, it's really set us years back in our influence outside the body of Christ. And we got a lot of makeup work to do there. Wow. Okay. Th- this is super helpful. And I, I love that you uh, kind of unpacked this teaching uh, that you gave in August and then that three week series. Okay. So a couple, couple like rapid fire questions about this. First is, you know, I, I've used this phrase as I'm describing you strategic leader, you know, strategic leader in your preaching. Um, you know, when you hear that, how would you define that? Well, I always think about we're taking people on a journey. Yep. There, there's a place we, we, we want them to go spiritually. I don't care where you are spiritually right now. I want to help you take your next step forward wherever that is. That's what's important to me. And so when I, I sometimes refer to it as directional preaching. I'm, I'm trying to take people on a journey. I'm trying to move them forward. I'm trying to help them mature. And that might be in some cases... I'm trying to get them to move from negative 10 in the level of their spiritual interest to, you know, negative eight. Yes. <laughs> Other times it's to get them across the line of faith. Sometimes it's really to move person deeply in their maturity. So that that's when I think about strategic, it's strategic in helping people grow spiritually. It's strategic in helping them mature. I, I I'm, it's not, to me, the end, of, the end of the game is not about, did we achieve the ch- church's strategic goals? Right, right, right. Th- those goals are only useful if they're helping us move people forward. You know, you know, I like looking at the number of people we have in small groups and thinking about how many we'd like to have, because I know if we can move that metric forward, it's going to mean that people are going to experience you know, churches, it was meant to be in their yes. lives. They're going to yes. experience acts to community. So, so it's, it's with that end in mind that helps me think strategically. It, it's not about building an organization. It's yes. about building people. Yes. And that, and what's, what I love too is, you know, especially when you, you are around someone who has a gift that's so, it's just so hardwired in the way that God made them. Um, and it's like, you, you probably don't even, uh, think about, but even as you were talking about this Jeremiah passage, you were talking about this directional, like, where are we going? What's, you know, where are we taking people, you know? And I, I just, I love that when, when you are, when you like open up your Bible and you know that you're going to teach from, you know, let's say Acts four, are you just, is that just directional word constantly in your mind? Like, Hey, if I'm, if I'm, this is, where, where's this, what's this, uh, text saying, and now what am I going to actually invite 
the East Side congregation to do or move? Or, or are there other questions that are kind of pushing that direction ahead? Well, I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of other communicators do this too. A lot of times when I'm working on a sermon, I try to write down the names of, you know, five, six, eight people, like specific people, not generic demographic group people, but like people that I know. And so I write with them in mind, you know, some who like maybe it's a, a person or a neighbor or a friend that I'm trying to have spiritual influence on. And maybe it's, you know, an elder in our church or maybe, you know, and I try to get these, this different group of people, different ages, young people, et cetera. And so I'm always trying to write to think, okay, is this helping them? Is this helping? Would they get this? You know, would my neighbor who has no spiritual interest right now, would, would, you know, he's probably not going to hear this sermon anyway, but it helps me write with an edge if I can do it with specific people in mind. And I, again, I think I've just done it so long. I probably don't think about it. It comes naturally to me, but I think in every sermon, there's probably almost a part that there's that personal challenge that I'm trying to give and, and the corporate challenge that I'm trying to yes. give to us as a church family and to, our, yep. to remind us of why we do what we do and what our vision is. And yeah. I think that's just kind of, added. sometimes one of those will be heavier than the others, depending on what the sermon is, you know, that it weights one way or the other. Well, and I, I love that because, you know, um, you know, even in the, the message that, you know, we shared a clip from and, but the message is that I've, you know, listened to you for, for years and years, you are a pastor and I love that personal. And I, I never knew that you had, the names of people as you were thinking and, and writing, but it makes total sense now when I, when I think about, because um, someone who I think is so gifted organizationally with vision, with building, with leadership, um, sometimes the, the pastoring can not be there. And I just, I just always feel that, you know, and there's been times in my life where you've texted or you called, like you are, you are just, um, one of, in my opinion, one of the just healthiest examples of a lead pastor of really kind of incarnating and embodying those two words. And I, I love it because it, it just comes out week after week in your preaching. And it's just something I just, I respect deeply about you. That, that's very kind, Steve. But I, I, I would, to be honest with you, I don't know that that's always been true of mm. me. And I, th I think, you know, an area where God had to break me and grow me in was I had to go through some of my own brokenness in life and some of my own hurt. And, you know, it's no secret. I went through a really rough divorce back in the eighties when, uh, you know, the woman I was married to fell in love with another guy and married the guy. And, and, uh, you know, that was humbling and heartbreaking. And, and, uh, you know, I hated that I had to go through that. And that was like, you know, the two by four and there's been, you know, a few other painful ministry experiences along the way. And, and, uh, I have felt like, you know, some betrayal or woundedness or even abuse in certain circumstances. And, you know, that when you go through that, it, it does soften you. And, and I, I just think, you know, God had to break me of some of that in my own life, or I, I might be kind of a, command and control strategic kind of person that wounds people because of, of where my leadership gift is. So I love that. I mean, I, I, I obviously don't love that you went through any of that pain, but I love how you've allowed that to shape and form. And, 
Um, and again, it just, you've done your work and the fact that you've done your work means you're not passing on. Um, I, I think my wife and I will always say is, you know, someone asked us once, how, how do you know that you, you, you're, you're going to be a good parent? And my quick answer is, well, my kids will go to counseling for different reasons than I go. Um, cause <laughs> I know I'm going to give them something, but I'm not given what I've been given. Cause I'm going to do that work. And so we'll repeat I, that cycle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I just think that there are pieces, um, again, just of, um, how you have shown up, how you have pastored, how you have led, um, and, and led with character. And that for me in this, this season of my life, um, I feel like more than ever, the pastors that I'm, I'm talking with, um, the pastors and the people that are listening to this podcast, it seems like so many people are just really leaning into this character conversation because they want to be someone who finishes the race. And you've been doing this 40 some years. Um, talk about just the, the character formation. And even, I, I love this because I hope everyone listening to this could hear like in August, there's this kind of formational, and then it seems to go in September and invitational. And then it back into kind of this, you know, opportunity to go deeper, whether small groups crossing the faith, you know, but there, there's this intentionality, but you have that from an, a church leadership side. But I know you also have that from a personal side. What does that character formation look like most for you? So when I was just just starting in Vegas, you know, like 25 years old, uh, one of the, you know, I look back at one of the most important books that I've ever read. And it's probably just because it was important at the time, what hit me at just the right time was an old book that uh, Gordon McDonald wrote on ordering your private world. Yes. And he talks in there he uses the metaphor of a sinkhole and he says, you know, when you see these sinkholes appear in Florida or something and a house disappears or a car disappears, you know, it's, you know, it's like it happened suddenly. And his point is that didn't happen suddenly. There was something going on beneath the surface there for a long, long time. And then suddenly you see this flame out, this explosion, this sinkhole. And, you know, he was talking about the interior of, you know, a follower of Jesus's life that we've got to work on the interior so that we can last for the long haul. And we don't have, you know, that sinkhole effect spiritually in our life. And, and that book was just, you know, like the right book at the right time that helped me develop some practices and habits in my life. Uh, you know, where I just start, I started journaling at that time. I know journaling doesn't work for everybody, but it, I, I'm a processor and, journaling really helps me to think, to pray, to reflect. You know, I, I got more serious about regular Bible reading for soul nourishment, not just for sermon preparation. Yeah. And, um, you know, that was just a very good, good, good thing in my life. So that, you know, it was, you know, three or four years later when I went through the marriage crisis that I talked about, I didn't have to develop habits to get me through that time. I already had the habits there and, um, and, you know, they served me well through that time. You know, I grew up, my dad was a pastor and I don't know how much, but like in the circles that I grew up in, he was kind of well-known president of a Christian college and seminary and, and, uh, and just lived with integrity and authenticity. You know, he was the same person at home that everybody saw in public. And, and, uh, uh, 
you know, when I was 14 years old, uh, he died suddenly of a heart attack and we were at our family, um, cabin and real primitive cabin up in, on a lake in Minnesota when that occurred. And, you know, a few hours after he died, the family's grieving, we're packing, we're preparing. We lived in Illinois. We're getting ready for the 700 mile drive back home to prepare for his funeral. And mom asked me if I'd go down the road, there was a little convenience store to where we could buy milk and coffee and newspapers. Back in the day, we had newspapers uh, over the summer and they would just keep a tab. So she asked me if I'd go pay our bill that we'd had from the time we'd been there on vacation. And so I said, sure. And, you know, I've not had a lot of times in my life where I felt like God spoke to me just like audibly, but I, I did that day. And uh, maybe God knew I needed it that day. But, you know, I was walking down that road or about a half mile away to this store. I remember everything about the tall pine trees on each side of the road. And what I was wearing, I had on a pair of plaid bell bottoms with cuffs about three inches thick and, and a yes. colored t-shirt. I may have only been 14 years old, but I had pretty good fashion. <laughs> and it just hit me that day. And, and I think this was God speaking to me saying, you know, Gene, what happened to your dad today is going to happen to every single person on the face of the earth. Wow. You know, one day is going to be their last day on this planet. And there's only one thing that matters on that day. And, and that is, you know, do they have a relationship with me? Do they, have they walk with me, experience the grace of my son? And fortunately, my dad had, and I, I, I know where he was at. And I just sense God saying that day, you know, if, if you'll put your hand in my hand, if you'll trust me with your life, I'm going to use your life to help people get ready for their last day on this planet and wow. to live every day between now and then. And, you know, even talking about it now, that's, that's 46 years ago since, since that occurred, but it's as real to me as it happened yesterday. And, you know, that, that calling, if you want to call it that, that, that that's been the passion of my life, uh, to just help people get ready for their last day. And I, I don't want to screw that up. And, you know, my dad finished well, and, you know, I'm 60 now. And, you know, you would think like when I was younger, I used to think, Hey, when people get to that age or beyond, well, there's nothing that could happen to their character at that point because they've right. got this all dialed by then. And yet you and I, we see it all the time that sometimes, you know, people blow it on the on the backside of their ministry and their backside of their years. And so I'm just really grateful to have a wife who <laughs> keeps me humble and <laughs> some great friends who speak into my life and have permission to speak into my life and who aren't enamored by what I do or because I'm a pastor, they just love me, you know, whether I was pushing a broom or, yeah, you know, and uh, those have been real gifts, I think, that have helped me sustain for a long time, but it's still day by day, you know, yeah. still yeah. day by day. Well, I, I just think, um, man, you know, I, I've heard, uh, we have some mutual friends, but the, the legend of your, of your dad. And just like you said, the character and the integrity and, um, and I remembered reading, um, an article, um, a number of years ago, uh, kind of detailing that story when you were 14. Um, and I just, um, I just can't imagine how proud your dad must be of you. Just, you know, just, uh, example that you've said, the, the ways that you've pastored, the people that you've raised off the women and men, and just um, the ways that you didn't just bypass that kind of audible voice and invitation that God gave you on that dirt road 
um, but I've actually just put it into practice um, week after week, day after day, um, meeting after meeting, service after service. And um, again, just as someone who's on the outside, um, but has been a recipient of just um, the work that you've done and um, the ways that you've just uh, carried on your father's legacy. Um, it's just a, it's just, it's just deeply, deeply moving to me and, um, just grateful for you. Um, I want to go back to that journal piece though, real quick, because in this message, you mentioned that you actually journal your fears and, you know, I've heard people talk about like a gratitude journal and that's, you know, or like writing about their day. But I thought that was a really interesting piece is that, you know, you just kind of writing them out and can see them on paper. It's like they lose power. Talk, talk about where that kind of came from, because I think it's a really just character development because fear takes over. Um, we don't make the best decisions based in fear. So, yeah, talk about that. Well, we, we, we do get in this cycle, you know, and I talk in that sermon about how, how we go from, you know, this is just the cycle the Israelites went through with Moses, you know, from fear to sarcasm to imagining worst case scenarios, and you start catastrophizing everything. And I can do that just like anybody else where, you know, your mind just starts going, 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 and you're traveling down roads that will, you know, that hasn't occurred. That hasn't occurred. You know, why, why do I keep going down those roads? And what I find is if, when I have the discipline to sit down and just write about those fears out, like it dissipates. And mm. sometimes they don't look as big when you put them on paper, you, you yes. know? And, the, and then the other thing is it helps me reflect on, oh yeah, I remember a time I was, I was had a, a similar fear or, you know, and well, God got me through that. Yeah. And, and God took me through that. And I, I don't know, there, there's just something about writing it out to me that, that helps it dissipate. I don't know, for some people that may reinforce it, but it does just the opposite for me. Yeah. It, it, uh, it doesn't look as big. Yeah. I love that. Just this simple. It doesn't look as big. Um, I, two more questions. And then I want to be really respectful of your time. The, the, the other one that I feel like m the conversation I keep hearing from pastors is just around, you know, this year's just been, uh, or 2020 has been such a year filled with criticism like they've never experienced before, you know, 50%, you know, even just whether it's a political divide, but you know, some decisions, you know, whether to close, whether to regather, it's just 50% seems like there's just some frustration. What, what pastoral insights or wisdom, um, would you give to, Hey, how to handle criticism? Well, um, any, any insight into that? So, I mean, you know, I, I interned at Eastside 40 years ago this last summer when I first came. And so I've been in ministry a long time and seen a lot of ups and downs and mountains and valleys and experienced joys and, and, you know, deep sorrows. But I, I would say, uh, and, and you're, you're aware of some of my challenging years of ministry. This has been the most challenging year. Wow. This has been the most challenging year. And, uh, you know, the, I, th I think, for, for many of us in ministry, you know, I'm, I'm like everybody else. I'm like you, I like to be liked <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and to know that, you know, this year, no matter what decision we made, no matter what path we went down, there's going to be a segment of people who are critical, who attack, et cetera. And, you know, I've thought about Moses many times this year and 
you know, he, he's got everybody against him. You know, the Egyptians are against him. Pharaoh's against him. You know, he's trying to do the best he can to lead the people. And the Israelites are just critical, 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 no matter what he does. And, you know, it gives them water from a rock and, you know, rain just for manna to come from heaven and a cloud to guide them by day and a pillar of fire by night. And they still gripe. And then it hits his own family. Yeah. And, you know, Miriam and Aaron, you know, his own brother and sister. And, and I reflect about, so why did he stay in the game? Mm. Because he couldn't do anything else. It was the call of God on his life. Wow. That's what he was called to do. And, and that helps me. I, I know it, it probably over-spiritualizes it for some people, but it's like, what else am I going to do? I can't do anything else. This is the call. Yes. And, you know, in good times and bad times and when it's easy and when it's hard. You know, I think about Jesus in John 5. Uh, you know, he says, I only try to please the one who sent me. And it, I think about, you know, if Jesus couldn't please everybody. Yeah. Who, who am I that I think I can? And, and so, you know, if, if I can put my head on the pillow at night, knowing that ultimately um, I'm going to be accountable to God for how I shepherded and led and pastored through, through all times, but through the, the COVID-19 crisis. And if I can, if I can just do it with the confidence, you know, I know I didn't did, did do it perfect today, but I, I did it the best that I could today. Um, that that really helps me. That yeah, helps me. that's beautiful. I've never thought about that from the the Moses side, and then again, like oh, it even hit his own family. That's 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 beautiful. You know, you know, it's kind of funny. And you know, you you interned forty years ago at, at Eastside. You know, I, I went to Hope International University in Cal State Fullerton. And Eastside used to be right across the street. And so I, I would go to university praise, you know, there and, um, you know, Eastside, uh, the, the former pastor, I would go over to his house, uh, Graydon Jessup and have some, some, he and his wife just, just mentored some students from HIU. And so Eastside's always had this kind of unique connection to even my own development. Um, and then, you know, as I've kind of 20 some years since I was in Fullerton, um, you know, you, East Side's expanded and in La Habra, in East Redlands, um, even in, uh, out in Minnesota, yeah, Park Rapids, is that what it's, uh-huh. uh, and, and beyond there's, there's a couple more campuses. How has it been just to lead in this season in different states, in different counties? Um, what's, what's, what's been that like for you? Well, you know, first of all, because, he, you know, I interned at Eastside so many years ago and it marked my life in so many ways. The pastor at that time was a guy by the name of Ben Merrill, who was just legend, legend and yes. the church for 22 years. And I learned so much from him about preaching and, and leading. And so much of what I've done over the years really grew out of my my time here. And the fact to be able to come back and to, to give back to a church who had, uh, you know, built into me was has been really a great joy. And it's just been kind of the funnest, freshest, most joy-filled <laughs> uh, ministry era of my life, in spite of challenges like like 2020 have been. And, uh, you know, r- really, when I think about the multi-site thing, the thing that drives it is our vision to reach people yeah, and, and to make a difference. And so it, I, I don't care how many campuses we have. I don't, I don't, if it's an avenue, though, that will help me fulfill that call of God on my life, you know, to help people prepare for their last day, 
that trips my trigger then. And then like, okay, how could God use that? And who, who could we reach? And what's going to be our strategy to do that? And so that's just really kind of the heartbeat behind that and how it beats in, in me as a leader. You know, we, we've sent some, we've set some even numerical goals in that, but that's just to get us moving and thinking about yep. who, who can we reach? It, it just helps to bring out our best thinking and our, yeah. our best, you know, strategic planning so that we just don't get comfortable with, with um, how things are in the status quo. Yeah. I, I love that. You know, and even when I was at Willow for um, a number of years, I, I oversaw evangelism and I, I mean, I, I would go to different ministry areas and just ask, Hey, how many people are you praying for from the junior high ministry to be baptized? You know, how many are you praying? And I just, for me, it was, gosh, I want a number that has me on my knees. That's like, has to be of God has to basically you sit back and go, only God could have done this. You know, I, I want to see that happen. And, and again, that's, I know your same spirit, which I love. It's like, man, it just, when you, when you have a, a God-sized dream, it requires some, a, a deep, deep level of dependency. And like you talked about in that teach, um, an expectation of God's help. And so, um, Gene, thank you. Just thank you again for just who you are. I, if, if none of you are following along on the East side story, you should, if you're ever in Southern California on a weekend, just stop in. The worship's fantastic, but the preaching, um, We'll just minister to you and you'll just see a, a congregation that's fired up about reaching their friends and really seeing compassion unleashed locally and globally. And um, that's just a credit to the team that that Gene has, the elders and just the people that he's assembled. And so, man, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all that you're thank doing. You, Thanks. Steve. Let, let yeah. me just say you're a world class encourager and uh, I'm grateful for the times we get together are, are too infrequent, but I treasure every chance we have to connect and, and uh, really grateful for the opportunity to have the conversation today. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. And everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in to the Craft and Character podcast. Feel free, uh, share this with a, with a friend, go on iTunes, you can like it, you can leave a, a comment. Um, but if there's ever any ways that I can serve you, don't hesitate. You can reach me by email, steve at steveryancarter.com. And we've got some incredible preaching cohorts coming up. You can learn more at craftandcharacter.com. And with that, I hope you um, would just think about some of those words and phrases and thoughts and ideas that, that Gene shared. And um I pray that this week, as you kick off 2021, would truly be a blessing. And this season of ministry would truly be one that brings honor and glory to Christ. Much love, everyone. Grace and peace. Peace.